Amen. So has, has God been uh, good to anybody out there? Amen. Hey, hey, take a minute and tell a few people around you how God's been good to you. Out loud talking kind of thing. <laughs> Amen. Uh, before I get going on the message, I, I heard the ladies had a party last night. Was it good? Man, I heard it was cranking. A lot of soup, a lot of talk, and just here to say, if there's any tomato-based soup left, you know, and, and you, you need to find a home, I got one. I got a home for some tomato-based soup. I, I love, I love soup. Soup is good. Good stuff. Hey, I want to start off uh, with a couple of passages that will help prepare our hearts and our minds for this morning's conversation. And as Jesus was prone to say when he wore flesh and walked the planet, those who have ears will, will hear. Uh, th- what does that mean? I mean, was there some kind of genetic mutation in the first century where some people didn't have ears? No. Uh, what Jesus is saying, hey, those who want to hear are going to hear. Uh, those who are open to hear are going to hear. Those who have ears will hear. So ask the person next to you, do you have ears? Okay. All right. Okay. So there's more talk about ears than God being good. I don't know how to take that. Mark chapter 1, a man with leprosy came and a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. And hey, it, Let's stop for a second and, and not just simply read over those words. Let's try to really see what's going on. I mean, what we have here is a guy who was an outcast, forced to live outside the city, wearing a bell around his neck and obligated to yell out, unclean, 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 whenever another person came near him. What do you think life was like for this guy? I mean, imagine actually living like this. As an outcast, always on the outside looking in, having a disease that was highly contagious and was taking pieces away from you every single day. And perhaps worst of all was the fact that for years, no one got near him. No one touched him. Not his mom, not his dad, not his wife, not his kids, no one. And as listen, as far as this guy was concerned, things would never change they, in fact, would only get worse and worse as his disease progressed. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And you see, he didn't just feel sick. He felt stained. He, he felt tainted. He felt contaminated. He felt dirty. He felt untouchable. And you know that, that, that two-letter word, if, says a lot about where this guy was. And how he saw himself. If you're willing. Now, Jesus, I, I don't doubt that you could cleanse me. I'm just not so sure you want to do it for me. I'm such a mess. I'm so tainted. So dirty. So not right. So not together. Move with compassion. One of my favorite Greek words. Splachna. Splachna. Say that. Splachna. Say it and spit on the person next to you as you're saying. No, kidding. (laughs) It's this deep feeling, this stirring inner gut, sick to the stomach feeling that leads to action. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched him. And don't miss the power and sheer beauty of what's going on here. Jesus, the holy, righteous, sinless God, reached out and touched the guy before he cleansed the guy. And here's the point. Jesus is totally okay with touching the leopard. He's totally okay with touching the outcast, with touching the sinner, the dirty, the messy, the stained, the tainted, the broken. He's totally okay with touching those who so do not have it together. And if you ask me this this pre-cleansing, I'm still messy touch. It was like a flame in a room with a gas leak. It ignited the healing process long before 
one part of his body was even restored. Question, have you ever felt like this leper? I, I, I mean, it, it's not that you doubt the ability of Jesus to heal you, to help you, to cleanse you. I mean, you know he can. You're just not so sure he'll do it for you. I mean, you're still such a mess. You still so do not have it together. Move with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. And I don't know, call me a lifetime for women pastor, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that our king, as he said those words, I am willing, I'm pretty confident that there were a few tears in his eyes. Of course I'm willing. Of course I'm willing. I love you. That's why I came. I came to heal your brokenness. How could you think I wouldn't be willing? Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Instantly. How awesome is that? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've had that, that instantly thing happen in my life with Jesus. Not, not that I was cured of leprosy, but there have been times when, when I, I knelt before Jesus begging, feeling alone, feeling broken, feeling afraid, feeling discouraged, feeling defeated, feeling unsure. Instantly, my Savior turned it around. Instantly. Like, how did that go away? My schizophrenic, how did it just go away? Because he's a great healer. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. You see, at this time, Jesus, as much as you can when you're like healing people and taking religious people off, was trying to keep his ministry on the down low because it wasn't time for him to go to Jerusalem yet. He says, instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word. He couldn't stop. It's like, wow, this is too good. Proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. I understand when the healing power of Jesus is flowing, touching the leper and the outcast, bringing hope to the hopeless, life to the dead, sight to the blind, freedom, freedom to the captive, the word will get out. And, and people from everywhere will keep coming to him. Not coming to Maple Grove, not coming to a building, but coming to him. Yeah, Jesus did some pretty awesome powerful healings 2,000 years ago. And you know what? He's called us to do the very same thing. He said this, you are the salt of the earth. And salt back then wasn't just to season your McDonald's french fries, which are the best french fries in the world. Amen. They call me often. I can't answer as much as I want to. Yeah, but salt back in the day was used for preserving. You know, we are God's healing agent. You're the salt of the earth, but what good is it if salt is lost its flavor? How can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the, the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That'd be nuts. And set a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Open palms, symbolic if you like, of that you have ears today. <laughs> now, Father God, we love you. We humbly come into your presence. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for being my help and my refuge. Thank you for your scandalous grace that you died in my place. Thank you for being my king. Forever and ever, my rock and my hope. And, and Jesus, I pray you be with us in this room because if we do have ears, we do hear, the world will be a, a little bit brighter and a little bit more whole. God, help me to say what you want me to say and the way you want me to say it. May I not get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's, let's do this. We, we've, been, we've been in this Life on Mission series for, for six weeks. And, 
It's a series that we're, we're using to, to launch our three-year strategic plan called Pursue, a strategic plan that is divided, that, excuse me, a strategic plan that is driven by three core pursuits. I talk fast. Sometimes my mouth and brain, you ever do that? They don't quite sync up. Three core pursuits, evangelism, we pursue hurting and lost people with the love and hope found in Jesus. Discipleship, we pursue Jesus by being disciples who make disciples. Compassion, we pursue the compassion of Jesus by loving others with our words and our actions. I understand Maple Grove, that is what we want to drive us as a church and as a people. Understand, we do not want to be driven by buildings, by budgets, by programs, events, or by people. And yes, we will have buildings and we will have programs and events and people, but we do not want those things to be the things that drive us as a church. Instead, we want to be driven by mission. Like Jesus, we seek the lost. Like Jesus, we make disciples. Like Jesus, we show compassion. Rick Warren, before he wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life, actually wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And in it, he, in a chapter talking about what drives your church, he concludes with these words. Unless the driving force behind a church is biblical, the health and growth of the church will never be what God intended. Strong churches are not built on programs, personalities, or gimmicks. They are built on the eternal purposes of God, seeking the lost, making disciples, and showing compassion. And listen, the way we're approaching this pursuit thing is by assuming that we only have three years left. I mean, the question we ask ourselves is, what if three years from now, Maple Grove is no more for whatever reason? You know, during those three years, what must be, what should be our focus? I mean, what, what would God want us to accomplish so that when we stand before him on October the 12th, 2017, we can say to him what Jesus said to the Father in the garden, Father, we have brought you glory by completing the work you gave us to do. And like I said, we're using this Life on Mission series to launch Pursue. And understand, the goal of Life on Mission series is just that, is that we would live our lives on missions. It's for us to live our lives on mission. It's for us to live the lives that we were created to live. It's for us to fulfill the purposes for which God created us and recreated us in Christ. It's for us as a church to become the church that he always intended. And this life on mission can be summarized by this diagram. That's like everywhere. Probably have dreams about this diagram. It's like our roadmap. It's our GPS and you know, a, a life, see, the life that you and I were created to live, it begins with belong. First, belonging to God. Getting back home to our Father. You know, turning back to Him. Through faith, repentance, and baptism. Second, it, it, it consists of us belonging to the church, belonging to the body, belonging to His family. It, it begins with belong. Next, the life that you and I were created to live, it is also a life that grows. So see, God didn't save me just to save me from my sins, but to restore me, to remake me into what I was always supposed to be, what we were always supposed to be. Men and women created his image who take that image and spread it all over the planet. You see, God loves us just the way we are. Praise God, because you're messed up. I'm messed up, right? But he loves us far too much to let us stay that way. Praise God, right? I mean, do you really want to stay this way? Man, I got some things in my life I really don't want to stay that way. He loves us far too much to let us stay that way. He wants us to become just like Jesus. See, belong and grow are essential to living our lives on mission. I mean, that's why a couple weeks ago, well, actually eight days ago on the 15th of November, we had our first life on mission classes. We had about, it was a great day. We had 60 people in the Grow class taught by um, Mark Vandenable. You know, I had 14 new folks to Maple Grove doing the Belong class, which this is the new name for Discover the Grove. I mean, we got to use the same terminology, you know. And, and those 14, you know, 11 already turned in their membership covenant saying, hey, we like what you're doing. We see what you're doing. We want to join you in being on mission for Christ. I mean, it was a great weekend. 
I mean, that, that's some good stuff. You know, and, and yeah, we're going to wrap up this series on Pearl Harbor Day, um, December the 7th. And if you've taken the Belong class you've, or discovered a Grove class, whatever it's called, and you have not yet, like, walked up here and, you know, publicly say, hey, I, I'm here with this church. I'm ready to make it happen. I know 11 people gave me their covenants. We're going to do that on that Sunday, right, as we wrap up this series to say, hey, look at all these people wanting to join us as we do these things for God. Next, the life that you and I were created to live is also a life that serves. It's a life that, that uses our unique, our unique spiritual gifts, our, our unique heart, our, our unique abilities, personalities, and experiences to serve the body and to make it stronger. Paul wrote, for him, the whole body, joined and held together by every support and ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part sits on its butt. No, as each part what? As each part does its work. You see, there's something God gifted all of us to do in order to make this body stronger. Remember a few weeks back, what I said, I said that you know, belong, grow, and serve, that, that's what turns our light on. You know, and, and remember, it does no good to uncover your light if it's off, and it does no good to have your light on if it's covered and hidden. Which brings us to, finally, the life you and I were created to live is a life that engages a life that engages its light and takes that brightness out into this dark world. It's a, it's a life that, that doesn't wait for lost people to show up into this building or into our lives, but like the shepherd who lost his sheep goes out and finds them. Bottom line, engage is all about making God's all-consuming, I'm willing to suffer anything, even crushing my son on the cross, passion for lost people. This mission, the passion for lost people, and nothing less and nothing else must drive his church at 3210 Prophet Road. And be honest, it'll take some work. It'll take some sacrifice. It'll take some change for that to be a reality because the truth is, lost people have not been the all-consuming passion of the American church for years. And again, as we saw last week, I mean, how, how really, right? We've got to be honest. How, how can we say lost people are driving passion when we saw that 61% of churchgoers did not share their faith in six months? How, how can we say that lost people are passion when 50% of churchgoers, right, they, they don't even invite someone to church? How, how can lost people be Maple Grove's all-consuming passion when you know, no one has perfect attendance? Or we could say, you know, 500 people that call this place their home right? Only rescued about 25 people last year. How can that be our passion? We've got to be honest, right? It isn't. If it isn't, why isn't it? Well, number one is because we've allowed ourselves to be distracted by lesser things. Some, lesser th- some things are, some of those lesser passions are bad and destructive. Some are just, they're just lesser, right? And, and they take so much of our time and effort, we have nothing left to give to our main mission, the only reason that we're here, the only reason Jesus left us here after he saved us. Why isn't it our consuming passion lost people? Because we ignore or become numb to a very terrifying reality. That lost people, that people who do not know Christ, anybody know someone who doesn't know Christ right now in your family, a friend, a coworker, someone you go to school with, will spend forever in hell. When the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That's terrifying. I mean, picture that loved one, right? You may, you may be sharing a turkey leg with them coming up, a cubicle at work, and that's their future right now. Another reason it's not our consumed passion is we've forgotten Forgotten who we are. Forgotten where we were. We were lost. We were dead. Without hope. Without Christ. Without God. Without a future. Forgotten who we are. Whose we are. We're not our own. We were bought with a price, right? He owns us. We forgot that we got one job. One job. Be his witnesses. Bring lost people back home. And if you have one job and you're not doing the one job, is that a good thing or a bad thing? We can ask. We concluded last week it's a, it's a bad thing. And to lighten the mood, right, you know, all this hell talk, right, you know, wow, I'm kind of bummed. Well, 
Yeah, I'm okay with being bummed a little bit. But let's get a breather, you know, of all these awesome photos of people who had one job, one job, and somehow managed to fail at that one job, like this guy right here. Alich, the A's on the side, Alich of architecture and planning. Yep, that's who we're getting to help us do some of our facility changes right here. No, I don't think so. Do not stack. One job. I don't think he did so well. I love this one. One job. Don't try that at home. It's not going to work. I love this one. You got one job. I mean, there's no way you can actually honor the urinal code, right, right with that one. You got one job. One job. You, 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 could, you couldn't get it right. Hey, let's build a nice playground for our kids and have them drop off in the middle of the road. You got one job. You got one job. Maybe catch this one. Here, here, put this sign on the side of this bus. They paid a lot of money for it, and they, hey, you got to flip that arrow over. He's not, he kind of disconnected his arm there. One job. Phone booth. Phone outside the booth. One job. One job. It's hard to see, but light these nice color tiles. One job. Here's my, I love this one. One job, right? Batman. What, what's wrong? Anything wrong with that picture? Yeah, one job. Hey, hey, here's the, talk about cheap seats. <laughs> cheap seat. Look, I mean, they actually did that. That's the stadium. How did, one job. One job. We have one job, right? We do. You know, the other day, a question came into my mind, and I kind of asked myself the question, or like someone was asking the question. I can be honest, I almost was going to have someone ask me the question, so I could say someone asked me this question, so it wasn't my question, but that didn't seem really honest. <laughs> Here's the question off of my mind. Steve, what kind of church does God want Maple Grove to be? Traditional? Contemporary? Answer? Neither. Neither. See, our aim at Maple Grove is not to be a traditional church or a contemporary church, but to be what? A transformational church. A transformational church. See, our vision is following Christ and life-changing community. And what we want to be, regardless of the style of worship, regardless of our building, pews or chairs, whether we're ties or robes, sandals or boots, is we want to be a place where people meet Jesus the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and they're changed by Jesus. And, and they take that transformed life out into this broken world, and they make a difference for Jesus. You see, if we're traditional, not transformational, you see, we are a transformational church. We're not a contemporary church. We want to be a transformational church. Amen? Get it, got it, good, good, good. A, 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 I know, because... I know, I know a lot of times I'll leave you hanging, I forget the good. But never forget the gooder. You know, and one final reason the lost people are our passion is we got an enemy, right? We have an enemy who opposes that passion. They'll try to distract us, discourage us, defeat us, deflate us, and keep us from this passion. And probably the most important thing, and I'm so okay with going over this because this is our one job. And we're, we're failing at it, Right? at least not 100, right, is we said, will you take the one-person challenge? We said, you know, will you, in 2015, just reach one person the whole year? You got one. You know, that, it said, God, show me that one person that you, that's in my life or you could bring in my life that just that one person, I know there's billions and thousands, of just that one. The bunch in our school, I know, but God, just one. Just that one person. And we said that it would be crazy, Right? Because there's about 400 people, regular basis, students, adults walk through here. If they did one, end of 2000, right, 15, that, that, that 400 becomes 800. If, if the end of 2016, that 800 becomes, anybody good at math here, right, 1,600. The end of 2017, that, that 1,600 becomes what? 3,200. Uh, uh, the end of 2018, you take it up another year, that 3,200 becomes 6,400. And, and those, and those, th those four you know, those 400 people said, hey, you know, I'll just do one, but, but we're going to do it together. I'm going to get one, and you're going to get one. We're going to help each other get that one person who needs Jesus. They're, they're going to be a friend, not a project, not a notch on our Bible. Those 400 people, four years later, 6,000 people have had their eternity redirected. Is that good stuff? So, so if you've taken that one-person challenge, stand. If you take a challenge, say, God, I'm going to reach one person in the year 2015, just go ahead and stand. The one-person challenge. Okay, 
Look around the room. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I mean, think about it. That's a real person. That's a lost, hurting person that, that can find Jesus. Amen. He can be seated. Just like that lepers we met last week in 2 Kings, who the city's under siege, and it finds, whoa, man, we got a buffet here. This is awesome. This is better than a bocce grill, right? You know, this is awesome. This is great. And they realize, wait, if there's a whole city back there dying of starvation with no hope. What we're doing is not right. And I'm here to say what we're doing is not right. If all we're going to do is celebrate what we have in Jesus, as we should, but we're keeping it to ourselves, it is not right. This is the good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Let's pray again. God, I love you. God, I pray. For every one of us who stood, Lord, that you'll help us. And God, that we will not allow anything to distract us, deflate us, or discourage us from your mission. Jesus, may we storm the gates of hell. May we become an unstoppable force for your honor and glory. Amen. Now, as we continue unpacking this core ingredient to a life lived on mission, engage, uh, we're going to talk about serving those we engage. Like Theodore Roosevelt, I never knew he's the guy who said it. I'm sure you've heard of the expression, people don't care how much you know until they know you care. And Jesus told a parable to illustrate this, illustrate how, how serving is critical to our engagement. Along with the story of the prodigal son, one of his most well-known stories is a story that has furnished the names for a lot of hospitals across the nation. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And the story is prompted by a question. A guy was in, a question intended to test Jesus. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love Jesus. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's not Jesus on the hot seat, but it's this guy. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. And honestly, I think he's excited. He likes the answer because this guy got it. He, he, he knew that being right with God, despite the popular theology of the day, was not about performing a bunch of sacrificial rituals, but it was about relationships with God, our, others, and even ourselves. And then Jesus says this, do this, do this. Yeah, I'm glad you know it and you got an A on the pop quiz. Do this. Don't just know it. Do this and you will what? You'll live. And that word for live there is also not just physical life, but your whole spiritual life. The man, and instead of repenting, does what any hypocrite in good standing would do. He justifies himself. The man wanted to justify his actions because he, he, he knows he really wasn't doing this, not for everybody. So he goes, well, let, let's define who my neighbor is because surely you didn't want me to love people that aren't Jewish people. And Jesus replied with a story. It's about three men traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a very notorious road, had a nickname called the, um, the, the, pa- the Pass of Blood. You know, it was 20, 20 miles long. It, it dropped in elevation 3,000 feet. Uh, it had a lot of rocks and, and crevices that bad guys could hide in. Not a good road. No lights, no highway patrol, no 911, no emergency call boxes. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Okay, so we have, well, we have, here, we have, this, we have a crime scene. I mean, tr- try to picture this in your mind. This guy's been stripped, he's been beaten, he's left half dead, he's in bad, bad shape. Probably never make it back home to his family in Jericho. Jesus continues, by chance a priest came along. And, and, and I kind of picture this half dead, beaten up guy, squinting through his bruised and bleeding eyes and thinking, awesome, a pastor. What luck? I'm in trouble, and a pastor comes along. You know, he, I can, How could he get any luckier? Kind of like how this farmer felt that I heard about the other day. This farmer was working his land. He left his field, and he drove back onto the road, and a, a, a driver came over the top of the hill, smacked into him, flipped his truck over, flipped the rig over, and since the driver already had one DUI, he left because he didn't want to caught. Well, lo and behold, a sheriff arrives on the scene. The guy's thinking, this is incredible. What luck? 
a sheriff is here to help me out. And he felt really good about it until he saw how the sheriff dealt with things. The sheriff walked over, saw the mule, and the mule was in bad shape, had a couple broken legs, and he pulled out his nine millimeter, pop, pop, boom, he's gone. Walks over to the dog, guy had a dog, the dog was just as bad off, and pop, pop, pop. And then he walks over to the guy pinned under the rig. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Never felt better in my life. <laughs> I right? right? never felt better. I'm feeling really good here. Yeah, I know my leg's cut off, but it's really good. It's, it's a good leg cut off thing. See, unfortunately, when people are hurting, sometimes the person they actually should trust to help them is someone they can't trust. I mean, right, how many times have we taken our nine millimeter? Boom, boom. There's someone out in the world. But when he saw the men lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. Oh, okay. I, I, and walked on by. I mean, he's actually going out of his way to avoid the guy. Uh, apparently, on his list of things, what to do to please God, helping somebody beaten up half dead was not on that list. And I don't know, maybe he had a, a church business meeting to go to or Bible study. Uh, maybe his heart was so callous that he thought this guy deserved it. For whatever reason, he kept his distance. He kept people's needs at arm's length. Because if I get close, I might have to get involved. If I get involved, I might have to do something I don't really want to do. So likewise, a Levite, now a worship pastor is coming by. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. Again, he avoids the guy. I don't know, maybe he's thinking, you know, you know, if the guy's dead and I touch the dead body, then I can't serve in the temple. And, you know, I'd really like to help you guy, but, you know, I thought you just left the temple. <laughs> It's just an excuse, but we got those, right, when we don't want to help somebody who's in need. Bottom line, he missed a point. He felt that following rules were more important than helping people. The question was my neighbor, literally the person you have to walk out of your way to avoid. And then Jesus throws this huge twist to the story. His audience are Jewish leaders, and then Jesus all cast as a bad guy. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, and I guarantee when they heard that word Samaritan, you know, the death glare started firing Jesus' way. Death glares. I mean, it's enough to be the bad guys, but to make the Samaritan a hero, that was an even bigger slap in the face. It's like Jesus saying, hey, I know you guys know the rules. I know you memorized the verse, bought the T-shirt, and sang the song up at the temple, but the people you hate and despise are actually doing a better job at being a neighbor than you are. And yes, Jesus was being rough on them. Understand, Jesus wasn't some hippie love guru guy passing out flowers at the airport. He didn't just tell nice and comfortable stories. Sometimes he told penetrating ones that tick people off, especially the religious. But a Samaritan, his journey came to where he was and saw him and had compassion. Splagna, right? He splagna over him, okay? Going over to him, you know, going over to him, he made contact, he got close, he came near, he touched the wounded guy. I've always loved what Irma McManus said in his book, The Unstoppable Force, Daring to Become the Church God Always Had in Mind, the church exists to serve as a body of Christ. The serving that we're called to do requires direct contact. You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Why do you do all that? Because that's the stuff he had. The wine worked okay because it's alcohol, it was an antiseptic. The oil kind of soothed them. But then he says he dressed him with bandages. Where did he get the bandages? I don't think he had a first aid kit in his backpack, a little travel kit. The guy's stripped naked. He doesn't have anything, so the guy's probably just tearing up, ripping his own clothes. He used what he had at that very moment. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, hey, take care of this guy. Bill runs higher than this. I'm coming back through a couple weeks. I'll make things right. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandit. See, this guy's question was, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the question. I want to know who's going to be a neighbor. Not who is your neighbor, but who is going to be a neighbor. And the man replied, and he was so ticked at Jesus, he couldn't say Samaritan, right? The man replied, the one, through his teeth. And I'm going to say it, but I don't want to say it. I know you're right, but I don't want to say it. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, now you go and do the same. Question, how, how, how do we go and do the same? How, how do you and I intentionally and practically engage our world through serving? 
requires three simple things. Simple to know, right? First, it requires us to see. Understand, engaging compassion begins with our eyes, the way we see. It begins with our vision. I mean, how can we care about and meet those needs if we don't see them? No, we don't, and we can't. And I know sometimes we don't want to see, right? We don't want to see those needs because it does cause splagna, right? It does stir our guts. It does make us feel sick to our stomach. But listen, choosing not to look doesn't mean the needs go away. Choosing not to look at the fact that there's 145 million orphans around the world doesn't mean that there are not 145 million orphans around the world. Or the fact that if you have 2.18 billion Christians in the world, that if only 6.7% would adopt an orphan, there'd be no more orphans. I think at the very minimum, you know, if you're not going to adopt an orphan, find Julie Snell and adopt a child through compassion for 30 bucks. <laughs> 30 bucks, minimal. The Bible says, and yeah, Julie, be careful now. <laughs> More coming to the Snell home. <laughs> I crossed the line, didn't I? When he saw him, he had compassion. Seeing, that's the starting point. Seeing is what engages our compassion. And listen, you know, compassion is essential to our engagement because if our compassion level is not greater than our desire for personal comfort, we will continue to pass by on the other side of the road. So it begins with us seeing. And the next word is stop. Instead of pass by on the other side, we, we got to stop. Now, now, you know, there have been times in my life where when I have when I do see, I, I do see the need, and I do feel splogna, right? And it starts to stir my gut. But I still didn't stop. Why is that? I think Tim Harlow in his book, Life on Mission, nailed part of it where he says this, I honestly believe that the greatest hindrance to the mission of Christ is the busyness. The greatest hindrance to the mission of Christ is the busyness of his agents. They don't have time. Hurry is the death of compassion. If you don't get anything else, I say today, I want you to get this. If we're going to learn to be compassionate, we, 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 we got to slow down. And, and, and I think for some of us, what we need to do, you know, in order to have passionate, compassionate engagement is stop going to so many Bible studies, right? Maybe stop going to so many church events, you know? I mean, as a church, we've got to make sure we, don't, we can keep people so busy that you have no time for splagna, right? I mean, you have no time. You like to do this, you know, but you have no time. You know, we've got to create an environment that allows us time to reach out to, to hurting people. I got convicted this morning on this point because I've been discipling guys, you know, um, since the beginning of this year. You know, but we've never done any splagna together, right? You know, we, we've had great Bible studies and times of sharing every Tuesday morning all this year. But you know what? We, we, we need guys, and it's coming, right? Kemper, yeah, we, we need to do this. We need to go out together and unleash God's compassion and engagement in this world. It's great we're having studies. And we, I'm not saying we don't do that. But let's, let's make sure we have time to help people. We, we got to see. We, we got to stop. We got to share. Share our stuff, our time, our lives. That's what the Good Samaritan did, right? He just shared his stuff. Share what he had. Here's some wine, some oil, some clothes. That's what I had. I mean, he didn't build audition onto his house, right? He didn't empty out his bank account. He did what he could to help the guy. And Mother Teresa put it this way. She touched a few lepers in her time. Do we have that? Or we don't? Maybe, okay, let me pull this up where I can see it. <laughs> I'm going to see, I'm going to stop, and then I'm going to share. That's weak, okay? Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Mother Teresa. You know, it's us. God's gonna use, he's gonna use us. And what I'd like to do right now is I'm gonna have a couple ladies come up here, um, Sonia and Gail, um, because... One of our pursuits is compassion, and one of our mission points are to show compassion, to talk about what we're doing at Maple Grove, um, to show compassion, so it's not just something we hang on a banner, you know, stick on a coffee mug, 
And I even got a, right, when you interview people, you need one of these, right? So I'm a professional interviewer. I got my card here. All right. You ready? Got your mics on? You ready to bring it? You bring it? <laughs> Whenever you ever know me not to be ready to bring it. That's true. Gail, yep. we have this ministry starting, um, coming up in, in, in the first of next year. Yep. What is it about? Twos. That's the name of it, T-W-O-S, which stands for True Worship with Older Souls. And um, it's basically we're going to start with going to a couple of nursing homes and ministering to the people who live there and to the staff that serve there. Um, and we're, the name True Worship with Older Souls comes from the biblical um, command, uh, James one twenty seven says that true and genuine religion in the sight of God means having great programs and a lot of events at <laughs> the right. church. Coffee oh, mugs. No, actually it says pure and genuine religion Amen. in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows in Amen. their distress. Amen. So we're going to head out into the world and worship. Amen. Amen. And, and it starts in December, but you have something in two weeks. What is that? Yes, sir. Um, we're not going to send you out without equipping you first. Um, on December the 7th, that's two, two weeks from today, and what do I always do when you say hi? I give you one of these. Um, on December the 7th, after the service, we're due for a mission meal that day. And we're going to be equipped. You can put your mission meal in a to-go box and head down the hill to the youth center. We are going to have child care. And I would strongly encourage families, especially families with young children to think about participating. There is nothing that lifts the soul of elders like the presence of small children. So we're going to have child care and we're going to spend some time just doing a little orientation, talking to you about what to expect, what kinds of concerns or questions you might have, some situations that you might anticipate. Because we're going to do this with excellence Amen. so that it will last. Our long-term vision is eventually we'll model this after Pacham. We'll get other churches involved. My dream is that all of the nursing homes in this area will eventually have a church Amen. practicing true religion by looking after those widows. Amen. Amen. And, and you guys are taking a holistic approach, too. It's not just a residence, right? You're going to do something with the staff? It is them? not. Um, well, uh, we have placed our elders into these facilities, and the lion's share of their care is given by people who are the lowest paid workers in health care and the least educated. And their love cup can get pretty empty pretty quickly with what they face every day. So we are going to be very intentional about praying for them, supporting and encouraging them, because when we fill their love cup up, you know who it benefits. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Gail. And, and Sonia's a member of our compassion team, and, and she has some things to share what we're doing um, coming up in the new year in regards to our pursuit. And one of the things that we're, we're doing, we're having this thing called Compassion Central. Tell me what that is, and then tell me about this incredible ministry that has a number to it, 610 okay. Ministries. <laughs> Compassion Central is, uh, in, starting in January, we're going to have a hub, a place you can go to figure out um, how you can join in and help serve our church, help serve the community, help serve our world. Um, and uh, there'll be, place, there'll be um, ways for you to plug in on compassion teams like the twos. And um, also, if you have any needs, um, there'll be a place for you to be able to fill out a card um, that says what your needs are, that, um, that we could try to fill each other's needs. And that's what the Galatians, the 610 ministry is all about. It's based on Galatians 610. 
which says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. And so this is really about helping each other. Um, you know, it's more than just a benevolence fund um, where we write a check, um, but rather it's, uh, it's about if you have needs, to be able to fill each other's needs. We all have needs. Right now, I can't pick up things off the floor. So <laughs> that's my big need. Um, but, you know, seriously, if, if, you know, if you need someone to take you to the doctor or um, rake leaves or, you know, provide meals, things like that, needs that you might have in your life, um, that's what the 610 Ministries is there for. That's a really exciting, you know, and, and especially top of the list would be, you know, widows, elderly, and single moms, you know, to be there for them. And, you know, and using our women's ministry, men's ministry, if, if some older family needs us to cut fire, whatever it is, you because know, it'd be, you know, it'd be a shame. It's not going to happen anyhow, but hey, we want to, the twos, and yet we have some older people who need help. So we're not going to do that. And 610 ministry is going to be a way that we as a body make sure that we're helping each other out. And isn't there something uh, happening in the fall of next year too? Yeah. Um, Serve Sunday or Compassion Sunday is going to happen next fall. Um, and what that is, is on a Sunday, instead of us coming together um, for our regular service, we're going to come together and um, break up into teams and serve in the community um, all together. And that, you know, worshiping God together by serving. And then we'll come together and pray at the end of that. Um, time. So that'll look forward to that. That'll be a great Sunday. Amen. And just show the church that we get outside the building and, and that maybe that person that God convicts you to reach is somebody who wouldn't come to church, but if you're saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to help some older couple have a wheelchair ramp going into their house, they say, hey, I'll come help you, you know, um, hammer a few nails. And that could be an opportunity to a huge outreach and letting the community know the kind of church that we are wanting to be. You know, where compassion is not just on a sign or a t-shirt, but it's something that um, we want to do. And one more thing, the day, right? Yeah, there's a way you can show compassion today. Um, Grace is one of the missions that uh, our church partners with. And Grace is like the love ink of Greene County. Okay? What they do is they help provide needs for residents in the community. Um, children, adults, they provide meals. They help with rent and utilities, things like that. Um, and this is one of the missions our church financially supports. And uh, I think we've done this for several years. We have um, done the Grace Christmas Tree Program where we have given to needy children in the community, you know, the children who don't have, um, whose parents don't have necessarily the money to, to get them gifts. And so there are about 50 children in the community that we want to help. Um, and um, I think the next slide would show the things in the years past, gifts that have been given, things like bikes and toys and clothes. And we have this great tree out in the foyer um, where there are ornaments hanging for these 50 children. And what these ornaments have on them, there's 100 ornaments. Half of them are for clothes and half of them are for toys. And each child will get clothes and toys. Um, and if you feel led, um, you're invited to take an ornament and um, purchase gifts for these children. Um, if you do, there'll be someone out in the foyer to assist you who'll write down the ornament, the names that you took. Um, and then when you bring the gifts back, you'll bring them back by December 14th. That's in, I guess, three weeks. And uh, um, in a, unwrapped in like a black plastic bag. Um, and so this is a great way to, to serve the children in our own community. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, in our partnership with Ebenezer Baptist and a bunch of other churches, uh, you know, we provided meals, Thanksgiving meals for 250 families in our community. You know, that, that, <clears throat> if there's... You know, if there's four in the family, that's a thousand people we have in Thanksgiving this Thursday that wouldn't have because of the compassion of God's people. Uh, I, I want to read a quote, and we're about to wrap this puppy up. Um, a Roman emperor, um, Hadrian, said this, talking about Christians. He didn't really like Christians, but he had a hard time ignoring what they were doing. He, he says, look at how they love one another. See how they love one another. 
They never fail to help the widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to those who have nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home as though he were a brother. And uh, Now, who, who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? Uh, who wouldn't want to be part of a movement like that? If you want to know why Christianity blew up in the, uh, in the first 300 years, it's because that's what the church did. And, and that's what we want to be as a church. Those are the things that we want to drive us. Seeking the lost, making disciples, and showing compassion. That's our mission. Uh, we won't be thwarted. It won't be easy. We're not there yet. There'll be a lot of distractions and discouragement and opposition along the way. Uh, but our God is bigger and our God is stronger and our God is, is better. And, and uh, you know, chances are when, when you go home this week, um, you're not going to find a half-beaten, dead guy, half-beaten, half-dead, beaten guy stripped in your cul-de-sac or in your parking lot at work, right? You're not going to run into that. But, but no doubt you're going to run, it, run across somebody who needs your compassion, who needs your splogna, who, who needs you to see where they're at, to stop what you're doing, and share what you have to make a difference in their life. It could be that friend God's already put on your heart and mind. It could be that, that, that person at work or at school that no one talks to. You know, it, it could be that neighbor who, you know, found out that, well, they got a bad doctor report or something. But I guarantee a prayer God will answer in addition to your asking him to show you what person he wants you to reach for him, is God, how can I demonstrate your compassion this week? I guarantee he'll answer that prayer. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity, God, to worship you. And God, I pray that right now you would help us to become the church that you want us to be. God, to help us to be a, a transformational church. God, to be a church who takes our changed lives into the dark world to make them better. Help us to be saltier. Help us to be brighter. Jesus, thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.